today I talk to Tom Creffer and Tom is the father of a two and a half year old now and as soon as he realized that his partner was pregnant he started writing a journal and now those journals are books uh, the third one's about to come out and it's really interesting talking to him because he's really interested in uh, the mental health of dads, uh, the experience of new dads and and he really talked to the fact that parenting is a practice, not a lesson and that we are very often going to get it wrong so we can drop the guilt. I really think you'll enjoy this one. Hi Tom. Hi Marie. It's really great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming along. And so I just paint a picture of who you are and, and where you live and tell us tell us everything about you. So I live in Northampton in the UK and uh, I met my partner 2014 and we got together and we had, uh, we had fun traveling around the world and doing all sorts of newly in love coupley things. And then we got to a point where we thought we'd settle down and start a family. And we had troubles with that immediately. We couldn't couldn't make a baby. We tried to uh, try, try, tried to get pregnant for almost two years, mm. and at the end of that period, we got some news from doctors that basically said your chances of conceiving are all but impossible. Mm. And my partner was also told that uh, she needed to have surgery to remove one, possibly both of her fallopian tubes. And we were also put on a waiting list for IVF. So that sort of gave us our optimism levels of, of having a baby and they weren't very high. Mm. And then two weeks later, she took a test and she was pregnant. So I was uh, personally just gobsmacked, um, emotionally all over the place. So for reasons I've never been able to explain to myself or anyone else, I wrote a journal entry on the day I found out I was going to be a dad and I addressed it to my unborn child. And I did that every day for the duration of the pregnancy. Uh, and now I'm an author and I write nonfiction parenting memoirs about what parenting is like from a dad's perspective. And that, that journal throughout my partner's pregnancy, yeah, that became my first book. And I guess that, I mean, this is kind of obvious, but I guess that was really cathartic for you. Yeah, well, I, I describe my books as my free of charge therapy, because they are essentially, they're just journals. They're, they're me reflecting on parenthood every day. And then I get to the end of that process. And then I put my writer's hat on and think about the reader and think about getting all my scraps of paper and journal entries and turning them into something that will add value to someone else who's um, other parents, other mums and dads going through, through parenthood. Um, and we'll definitely talk about that. I really want to talk about your books and the message that you're you're putting out there. But when you when you started um, those journal entries right back when when she was pregnant, did you did you find that you were offloading stuff that you didn't want to share with her? Were there fears about you know the pregnancy? Was it stuff like that? There, there was a bit of that. There, there was nothing that I was that I wanted to keep from anybody else. But what I found was through journaling had this remarkable effect of, of me being able to offload subconscious stuff that I just have no idea that's existed. So what I found was through journaling, journaling had a, had a way of sort of uncomforting unconscious emotional truths that I had no idea were I even had, had there. It's, um, it's amazing. You start writing and it all just sort of comes out. 
And I've, I've used journaling before, but only more of a sort of a glorified to-do list to get things done, write a few ideas down. Never, never a way of sort of taking a deep dive through, through emotions. Uh, and, and so because of how powerful that was, I think that must, must be one of the main reasons why I kept going. Uh, because it, it just has a way, if you, if you commit to sitting down, just writing on paper and say, right, what's on your mind today? And tying that to a subject. So in my case, it was parenthood or soon to be parenthood. My partner was mm. pregnant. You, you're going to cover an awful lot of ground if you do that every day. Yes. Some days you won't. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of chapters that are just a couple of sentences long. I, a lot of them are quite funny and silly, writing about my observations, uh, living with a pregnant woman. And I had a lot of time, a lot of fun, just sort of writing the stories down and all those moments. Uh, other times I'd write about, I'd make an example, I might have thought about my own childhood, about my childhood experiences and what lessons that, that were there that I could sort of excavate and repurpose and, and use for my own um, parenthood journey when, when my son was here. And were there moments where, um, you know, you really, especially at the start, because I, I had a, a, a brush with, IVF and just like you guys as soon as I went on the IVF IVF waiting list I fell pregnant the next week unfortunately that that pregnancy didn't didn't complete right but the but the end result of that we didn't handle that very well my husband and I at the time and it and it was one of the reasons why maybe everything fell apart and I just wondering whether you how you were at that time when when your your partner's being told she might have to have this surgery she's been told her chances of getting pregnant are you know very very low what what was going on for you for you you yourself as opposed to the father to be or the hopeful father to be uh, i was emotionally willing to accept that we wouldn't have kids because and i i sort of Got, got it in my head that if this is something I can't control, if IVF fails or we didn't even go down the IVF route, I was, I was getting to grips with there's nothing I can do about it. As much as I want it as unfair as, as sort of this basic human experience being denied to me, I was, I was getting ready to, uh, to sort of live my life without that. I was having a hard time figuring out what my life might look like without children. Mm. And that, that was difficult because... I, I didn't really have anyone I could talk to. Uh, all my friends were having kids successfully. I, I didn't know anyone. Um, I, I've got friends who were having fertility issues, but they were then successful with with IVF and various other things. So I didn't have anyone close to who wanted kids, but kids are just not in their future. So I could mm. talk to them about that. So I remember that playing on my mind a lot. And then the other thing was my role as a partner, because I, I knew... Uh, my partner, she really, she really wanted. She, she's a natural. She's got childcare experience. She's she's not a, a a confident person in majority of areas of her life, but children, she is. She's she's just a born mother, born to care for small humans, and and so I was really worried about her mental health because she she knew she knew this was one aspect of her life that she could be good at. She as she the pregnancy went along she of course she got nervous and scared and all those other feelings but before then before then yeah. she I, I did i did feel i was like well what what what, what what's my role going to be for her mm. as a partner and how are we going to get over that because i i thought i she would have struggled if if um mm. if, 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 if if our future sort of turned out a bit differently 
Mm. It's so interesting um, what you're talking about, about talking to other men at different stages in their lives, because I think there is a similarity with women. You know, you I think with pregnancy, there are different camps, those who are pregnant, those who've got kids, those who haven't got kids and those who have miscarried, you know, you know, and and it's finding the people to talk to who can really understand your world. And so hence you've written these books. So you've got three or you're on your third yeah, so t- uh, there's there's two two are out to buy and uh, one is out imminently. It might even be out by the time this this episode airs. Uh, it should be out beginning of August. So it's either out in the shops now or it will be very soon. It, the, the the books sort of overlap. So the mission statement is to sit down and reflect on on the your day as a parent. It can be anything as long as it somehow ties to parent. If I want to write about a just an awful, awful nappy changing experience. Uh, fine. Uh, if I want to write about some some other drama that uh, I mean, my son he's two and a half now, so he's he's prime toddler. Um, so he he puts us through our paces. Very funny individual, and I like to capture a lot of the, the sort of funny bits and pieces he does. Or sometimes maybe I've just had a really bad day. I've not been a great dad, not been a great partner, and I just want to think about why why that happened. So it really can be anything as, as long as it links back to parenthood and my role as a father. Because of that, my my books are always overlapping. So when I they they run from Arlo's birthday. So Deodori is about pregnancy. That covers the eight months of pregnancy because it was we were a month into the pregnancy when we found out. Dear Arlo is about the first year. So it, it takes starts minutes after he was born, right up until his first birthday. And then the new book is is year two. So I'm always overlapping. So I always start the next book. And then I've got the, as I said earlier, I've got the job of going through the journals and turning them into my free of of charge therapy and thoughts and that and and put them into something that looks a bit more book-like for the the reader. But that that is essentially how how I operate. That's how I sort of fit them all in. And I I don't know when I'm going to stop, but that's that's plan will continue at least at least until he goes to school. It's a beautiful gift for him. I hope so. I thought so much about whether it should be out in the world. It's a very personal story, obviously. I asked everyone. I asked everyone what they thought of the idea. And everyone said that if they had the opportunity to read their parents' journals about them at their age, they thought it would be a worthwhile investment. No no one said it was a bad idea. So the, the hope is that he feels the same when he grows up and he, he sees the real intention behind the books and not that I was just exploiting him to become an author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he might see that in his teens, but not well, when yeah. he's bad himself. Well, they, they don't count, do they, the teenagers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you were talking to me earlier and saying that your, I was asking you who your readership was and you felt it was probably more women. Uh, it, it is, yeah. When whenever I speak to to readers, it, I, I get more emails from women than I do from from men, because they want to know what's inside a dad's head. They're always curious. Um, generally speaking, men are not very good at opening up. It looks like we're starting to question and challenge and change things, but it's it's a slow process. But a lot of work to do. I think that with with pregnancy, you just one of one of the biggest things I underestimated is how big the identity shift is. It sounds obvious when you say that. You, everyone's having babies. It's just a thing that happens all the time. 
But I think it's, I, I, I have the theory that because it happens all the time and around us, what seemingly happens all the time around us, that has a, a sort of trick of tricking us into not realizing how big a deal it is. So when I saw the two lines on the test, I was like, oh no, this actually is a big deal. This is a, this is a, I am going to become a father and it's going to change my life completely. I just, I didn't give it that sort of level of thought when we were trying to make the baby. It was, it was all about let's start a family, let's start a family. We, we kind of, we, we, we'd made the same mistake that everyone does. We had this vision of a portrait of a family walking in the park. We were like, that's what we want. Uh, of course, you, you, it's a um, wonderfully naive position to be in. Soon changes when, when, um, when the baby's handed to you. But that I remember that being being a big deal, and there's also you know it's a you've got something big coming, but there's also the unknown stuff like you you can't you don't know exactly how your life's going to be changed, even though you understand that the big change is coming. I, I find that hard to frame as a question, hard to frame as something that's easy to get out to someone else as as this is the problem. So I, I think it's it's very difficult for for people to sort of understand exactly define what those fears and worries are anxiety is a word a very broad word and people can say they're anxious or scared but actually they, they have to do a bit of work on that to really try and define and understand exactly what those fears and anxieties are and when you can do that well then you're in a great place because you can then work on them and you can sort of try and build some systems and tricks and pieces around it to try and solve for it and try and sort of work through through those barriers and fears and all those, all those buzzwords. I think, you know, what you're saying makes such sense um, because I guess, I guess for, for I guess for a, a woman, if we're going to use the standard heterosexual, of course we know there are different, you know, same-sex couples, you know, but we, you and I are talking in this situation about men and women, and we kind of get an idea that the woman's going to be breastfeeding or she's going to be you know more heavily involved maybe and so maybe the guy the the fear is i have no idea what my life's going to look like and exactly. that's too big that's just too big for me yeah 100% agree and i know lots of couples who do it all so differently you know i'm thinking about i'm i'm godmother to you know the one lad and and the couple they have they they still go off on snowboarding snowboarding holidays or they still do this because they knew they were important to that individual yeah they, they make sure that that hobby that thing is still able to happen although there are massive compromises elsewhere um what what do you i mean what do you think as a guy is the biggest fear i mean that's such an that's such a big I, question I, I, I don't know if there's Again, that's that's part of the problem. I, I think it's very difficult to identify a singular biggest fear. I, I don't think it's that. I, I think what happens is you have a child and you, you're supposed to adjust to something that you've got no training or qualifications in. Mm. And the, the, the on-the-job training is brutal. You're up multiple times a night. You're trying to work out why they're crying. You're trying to work out how bottle sterilizers work or what, what you know, there's an endless number of jobs that come hand in hand with both a, when you've got a newborn baby and as they progress through the, the different stages and phases of life. And I think that just all becomes overwhelming and gets on top of people. And that's yeah. when couples start fighting. Of course, uh, again, if we, if we just say generally speaking, 
Um, in the UK, dads normally get a couple of weeks off for paternity and then it's back to work. And then you have that cliche of who's, who's got it hard that dad's been, he's been woken up by the baby, but then he's got to get up and go, go to work. Mum's got to be at home all day with the baby. And, and so then you can get sort of relationship struggles and it all just gets a bit too much. And that's when you sort of cracks start appearing. And that's when those sort of real mental health concerns come out. Uh, it happens, happens unfortunately all the time. Mm. And so do you, have you had any guys uh, comment on, on your books and, and the sort of elements that of the messages that you're sharing that have been helpful to them? The, the most common comment I get from readers is I can relate. It feels good that other that I'm someone who went through similar stuff. That that's by far, and that helps. That's that's the other thing. It's it, it was good to they said it was good to read something, find out that other people are going through what I'm going, uh, and I'm not alone. And that that helps them. It helps them just to know that they're not alone. Which is I mean quite a, a simple thing really, just to know you're not alone. But it, it has powerful powerful sort of results and effects on on mental health. Yeah, uh, that that by far is is the biggest. <laughs> I think that's the whole purpose of this precarious parenting podcast series uh, is about people knowing that they're not alone. Yeah, that's it. That's it. If somebody can listen to this and go, "Oh, okay, it's not just me," then we're done, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because you, when you're battling whatever you're battling, you're you're you'd normally done so when you're very tired, and it's it's just you in your head having chats with with the voice in your head who you shouldn't always be listening to. Um, so when when you can sort of get through that and get out of your own noise that sort of invades you, you invades your mind all the time, speak to other people, then you can start to do some work, some emotional work, and, and hopefully get to a better place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you said, I'm just looking at um, a piece of paper, you, you said um, you said that you – there needs to be an increased focus uh, to encourage dads to speak up and that there needs to be more importance on the mental health and well-being of a dad um, that, that that's in its infancy. It is. Uh, and it's almost like, and, and, and whoever we're talking about, you know, the dad role, whether it's, um, you know, whether it is same-sex couples, you know, whoever, you know, I've got two friends where the women are out at work and the men are stay-at-home dads and the men have the same issues when they're staying at home that women have. I don't think it's a gender thing. I think it's about... Um, it's an experience thing. Sometimes it's about the experience, yeah. right? Yeah, agreed. So what... I'm changing tack slightly. But when you think about all the things that you've journaled, all, <laughs> right. all three books now, what did you, were there moments where you just felt this is really important to share? Yes and no. So it, it's quite, it, it can be quite daunting. Now it's different for the first book because I, I started writing some journal and I didn't know it was going to become a book. I didn't yeah. know I was this sort of life I, I, I was walking into, but now I do, you know, you know, the book three is about to come out. I'm already working on a fourth and a fifth. So I'm, I'm sort of comfortable in that life as, as an author, but because my, my genre is, is a bit odd. It's, I, I don't write fiction where I can plan out story. I don't have a nonfiction subject where I can research and I can present it to the reader and say, look, you've got a problem. This is exactly how I'm going to solve it. 
They're memoirs about events that are taking place as I speak. So I can't go back and write it retrospectively. So at the start of a book, it can be quite scary because what happens in my life is, is what any author would want. I release a book and I'll get people say really nice things about it, which is, is amazing. It's, it's considering I just stumbled into the career as a fluke. But then it really puts the pressure on when I've got another book project because I'm like, well, I can't, I can't engineer a better book. I can only do what I carry on doing, which I do is just to sort of carry on reflecting on parenthood and hope Hollow does some funny stuff or some insightful things. But occasionally something something will happen, and I, you, you're right. I feel I was like I needs needs to be on the page. There will be people that will have problems a problem with this issue that will relate to this issue, and it, this will be a chapter that has to be in the book. I'll give you I'll give you give you an example. I haven't wrote it yet, but yesterday, uh, Arlo he he um he he was he was I told him off for spitting at me. I said you you can't spit. And he just looked at me and he went, but mummy say yes and daddy say no. And he just shrugged up his, his arms. I could not believe that he's cracked that at two and a half, where he's he's learned that actually he's had mixed messages about situation and he's questioning that. And I thought, wow, I did not think I'd be dealing with this with a two and a half year old. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote that down. I was like, this, this, this will be an example that I need to get on the page. Might not be a funny story, might not make the reader laugh, but it's it's a really important parenting truth. And it's, I mean, it's a foundation, isn't it? Because it mixed messages and that's, that's something you should be working on um, with your partner or whoever you're raising your children with. Cause it's it, getting that right. is fundamental to bring in children. You know, they feel secure and loved when they get the routine and they get the, the same message and they get that sort of coherent upbringing. That's, that's going to be in a book somewhere. Um, and, and so I, I get there things like that happen. And I, I know that, I've stumbled, I've experienced or stumbled on a crucial parenting truth that, that I need to speak about. I really love that. And and I think you know that, you know, I'm I'm a well-being coach for young people and and with parents. And um and 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 I've had uh sort of 20 years of education uh background as well. And the young people that I see who are who are who are okay you know they're 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 on track they're the ones who haven't got mixed messages doesn't matter whether their parents have split it doesn't matter but if if there's collaboration between the parents then things seem that because the young person seems to be secure in the boundaries that they're getting the lack of mixed messages yeah that that makes total i mean if you if you start a new job and you have the first day in the office and you go to do a task and one of your teammates tells you to do it one way and the other tells you to do it another way, you're going to, you're going to lose confidence. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to get confused. That, that That is completely the wrong foundation to then go and start a new job. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing. It's, it's a human, it's a human thing, how we interpret the world around us. And yeah. by having that, that is that sort of, um, yeah, the, the same message, a coherent message, well, then you, you're setting them up to hopefully soar. And isn't that brilliant that you spotted that at two and a half and not, you know, ten and a half? I was, I was, he, I was so proud of him. I was just amazed because we've we've just um, we've just done potty training, and he he did he did an awesome job at that. He sort of cracked that in one go. So we've had a week of these just huge proud parent moments. Um, but I was, you know, I was geared up for potty training, but that that just sort of came out of the blue and it hit me the the whole uh, mixed message thing. 
And the fact that he picked me up on that, I was, yeah. No, he, he, I mean, it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it, right? Every day, every day there's something to, new to learn. Absolutely. And I, uh, my nephew won't thank me for saying this. He's, um, he's, uh, he's tw- just turned 29. And when he was being potty trained, we all, and he used the toilet because he, he was going up to the big toilet. Right. He, uh, we had to applaud. We all yeah. had to stand there and applaud. Well done, well done. And then one day he just went, no, but he didn't want applaud. And he didn't want any applause or praise anymore. It's like done. And Brilliant. we had, to, we had to catch up. We were like, Oh, okay. Sorry. Readjust. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great that he had his voice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you've said about these, um, so you've got book four and book five, you know, already in the pipeline. Um, obviously you said the books are in the shop, so they're, they're out there. Who's the publisher? You have a publisher? The publisher is Charlie Cat Books. The books are available in all formats, uh, all, all bookshops. You can get it pretty much anywhere, I think. That's fantastic. And, and, and how did even that come about? So from one minute, you know, because I've got a book and I'm self-published, you know, so to, to have a publisher, how did you go from doing your journaling to getting, getting a publisher? So, so Charlie Cat Books is my, so they are self-published. So that is my ah, company. I got it. Yeah. So that, that, that was a big decision about what route I, because I, I, I had no one in the industry. In the end, I got really lucky. I managed to find a structural editor on some directory. The first four I contacted were too busy, but then they referred me to someone else who then referred me to an editor who works, he works both with uh, self-published clients and with all the publishers. So I worked with him and, and we were able to figure out what the, the best route was to, to go with publishing. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at possibly one of the other books that I'm working on going through uh, one of an, another publisher. So I'd be what's called, I guess, a hybrid, I think they call them. Um, but I I wanted to self-publish these more because I was naive and ignorant to the whole publishing world. Um, I felt a little bit vulnerable given the subject matter. I, I did want to maintain control of those types of stories. Um, so that that ended up being a, a, a huge driving point as to why I was I, I wasn't really ready to let let them let the rights go into into another hand. You're um, literally your baby. Literally. They are, which is in some sense means. Uh, you, I mean, as a self-published author, you have to wear a ton of hats. Um, yes. So there's it's a lot more work at the moment, and sometimes I'm like, it would be nice to have some publishing help, which is which is why we're exploring other options. But I I wouldn't. Um, I, I cannot imagine a scenario where I would sell those books to a publisher now. No, 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 no. So your learning curve has been from probably the moment you walked into the ivf consultant or before that you your your learning curve has been on every element of pregnancy fatherhood being an author publishing you must be exhausted yeah, yeah I, 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 I i'm very good at I, i'm obsessed with sort of personal development so i'm always reading books and, and trying to figure out how to fit it in and so I, i'm a big fan of, of sort of routine and habits and I, one, one word I used to struggle with up until very recently was balance. Everyone's like work-life balance, family balance. And it just, it never, I could never make it fit with my life. And, and then I realized it's, it's the wrong word. You, you don't want balance in your life. That You try and get balance, you're, you're just destined to fail. You want counterbalance. Once I stumbled upon that, I was like, ah, that's, that's, that's how you do it. So now my mindset is, is if I go down, uh, my office in the basement, 
So if I go down to right, that's all I'm doing. I shut everything else up. Even if, if Arlo is screaming at me to, to go and, well, he's obsessed with Hoover. So he normally wants to come down and Hoover. Um, so, so you just have to be really brutal with your priorities. And, and as I say, counterbalance, once I'm done with writing and I go and do a bit of dad in, well, then I'm fully 110% in his world. If he wants to look at sticks and pick up stones, I don't care what it is. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not thinking about my to-do list. That's kind of how I do it. The same um, with my partner. We, we need time. Um, we, we went traveling around the world before we settled down and had kids. We need date night. We have to make it a priority. So, something I, I think the way I think about my life now is I attach all the elements of my identity to parenthood. It doesn't mean I give air, think of everything as, as, in service as a parent, but to use parenthood as an anchor to sort of pay service to all the different pillars of my identity is really helpful. I'll give you a couple of examples. Last week, I had a two-hour block of time and uh, I could hear Arlo running around and I really wanted to go upstairs and play. I didn't. I did a workout instead. And the reason I did a workout is because I think there's a lot of areas that of parenthood that are done away from the children. It's important for me to work out because when we go to soft play, he expects me to go running through the slides and whatever and cracking discs and, and all those bits and pieces. I want to be able to do that. At Christmas, my granddad, who's about to turn 80, he, he came up and he was able to sit on the floor and play with Arlo. Mm. I thought that was brilliant. Mm. I have a parental obligation to take care of myself so that I can limit any health concerns as I go into my older years. So then I use parenthood to anchor my physical self and that encourages me to go for a run or something. I think the same about, um, what, like, so for instance, I went skiing this year on my own with my mates and I, I left Arlo. It's really important that I do that. And it's really important that he knows I do that because when he grows up, if he has kids, I, I want him to be able to do the same things and feel that it's okay and not feel guilt. So then just looking after my sort of spiritual self, I call it, it's really important that I do that for me so I can pass on those lessons and lead by example uh, as a parent to him. So I, I've, I kind of, I like that because life gets so chaotic with, with like work and friends and social. And I found that to use parent as an anchor, it's, it's just a cleaner way of being able to sort of pay attention to those elements of my life um, without sort of going mad. So I, I, found, I, find, I think that's quite a useful mental model, at least for me. Yeah, I can see that. And I guess that's why I mentioned, you know, my friends who, you know, they still go off and do those things yeah. that they love to do because, and their kids are watching and can see that they are more than just mum and dad. You know, they've yeah. got that substance of the things that they love. And yeah, and no, I get that. I get that. So, so listen, if you, this is, this is a tough question. So if you had a message that you wanted to put out to mums and dads, you know what? What would your one message be? Uh, another another thing I like to use to help me get through my life is is remembering that par parenting is is a is a practice. It's not a lesson. A lesson would be like learning to ride a bike. You learn to ride a bike. You've got the skill. You can do it whenever. Parenting is not like that. It's a practice. So you're not going to get it right every day. You, every day you have the opportunity to show up and give it your best shot. I think it's useful to think of that because it might help parents stop with the guilt and just the, the reprimanding themselves and feeling lousy about certain things they've done or certain things they haven't done. 
because you, showing up and practicing permanently, that, that you've got that for life. That's never going to change. Even when your kids grow up, okay, I haven't got there yet, but I've spoken to enough parents. So I feel if you if you see it from that point of view, it might help you be a little kinder to yourselves if, if mm-hmm. the day hasn't quite gone that way. So something my partner always says to Arlo, if, if she does something that she's not happy with, she'll just say, I got that wrong. Can we try again? I think mm-hmm. that's great that she's able to do that for herself rather than just tell herself off or come out and say, oh, I'm a rubbish mother. That does no one any good. It does, doesn't do her any good. It doesn't do Arlo any good. So I, I like that she's mastered that as a skill. So I'd say that to parents. I, I've probably got a couple of things. Um, one is remember parenthood is a practice, not a lesson. I would always say if if you're struggling, take the time and the effort to find out why. But really, you know, sit down, shut yourself away, try really try and define what's going wrong. Because as, as we mentioned earlier, once you understand the problem, well, then you can start to address how you might tackle it. And that might help. And that's really important. You could try journaling. As work for me, you don't necessarily have to publish them and, and become an author. You just try writing a few. Uh, here's a couple of prompts like what went well today, what didn't go well today, and then try and go from there. You might feel uncomfortable at first, but I promise you, if you keep at it, it can. You, you'll be amazed at the results. If you don't want to write things down, have you got anyone you can talk to? Uh, and and another thing that I think always gets lost and forgotten is your your partner if, if you're in if you're in a relationship with, with a partner whoever that be they are your ultimate teammate you've got to remember that and you've got to work together as often as you can that sounds obvious but it gets very difficult to put into practice as i said when the baby's up multiple times a night or you're stressed at something at work or vice versa so and then that's when you start sort of snapping each other and then you sort of seeing your teammate as, as an opponent on the other side of, of the court which is, is is not good something we do which I encourage every parent is we will try, try, we don't, we don't always do this, but we will try and sit down once a week and have effectively a team meeting, me and my partner. And all we do, we use it to plan the week ahead because we've got nursery and shifts and work and priorities and things like that. We'll, we'll try and work together to figure that out. But also what we've done is we've inadvertently created a space where we can talk to each other about anything that's on our mind that's mm. done so without reacting in the moment. Mm. so if something's built up and then you start snapping each other um mm. that which is is uh, it happens all right we all react emotionally um i know i do sometimes but by having that sort of pre-arranged time slot where you can just check in with each other and and cover off it for anything's on your mind I, I think that can do that can that can limit a lot of potential damage up front um, mm. it's just again it's something you've just got to get in the habit and, and try and like, commit to it. it it really does work once, once a week I sit down most of it we spend figuring out what we're gonna have for dinner it's it's or, or what we're gonna watch yes. next on netflix um, but you but- know you, what i'm hearing though in those conversations is all those kind of assumptions of what the other person's thinking or feeling will drop away because you're actually having a chat about it 100%. instead of it mulling around and building yeah. up i've just i've just read uh just finished reading a book called the chimp paradox which is phenomenal i don't know if you've ever read it but it, mm. it's 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 a really good explanation as to how your mind works but it's really accessible it's written by scientists but it's it's um it's accessible to anyone and i think that's i'd recommend that read read that book that'll help you give you an understanding of sort of how our minds work and you can take that knowledge into your relationships so uh, be it at home with children at work 
it's um yeah it's not necessarily a parenting advice it's just life advice but i yeah i'd encourage anyone to read that if they haven't brilliant oh tom thank you so much so i follow you on instagram um and it would be really helpful if you could just let us know how people could follow you or get in contact with you and i'll put all this in the show notes so so how how can people find you out there so you can come and say hi on my website which is just my name tomcrefford.com crefford spelled k-r-e-f-f-e-r it's not lost on me that i have an awful surname to begin a public career but there we are uh yeah i'm normally most active on instagram which is tom underscore crefford but all links to all social media handles are all on my website including links to all the books and where you can buy them from yeah fantastic it's been such a pleasure talking to you i think you're right i think that um i think this is an area that that would be really helpful for men to talk to to more men at this point in their lives so uh fantastic keep up the great work thank you thank you so much for having me on marie you've been listening to precarious parenting by realization works Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.